0: You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Bronco's Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Huddle Up! Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me is my co-host and partner in crime, as always. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, the Broncos are headed your direction. They're heading east to take on the Ravens this week in a treacherous morning game on the (laughs) east coast. Yeah, it should be an interesting
1: contest. Not a lot of people realize that it's tough to play in Baltimore. We'll talk about that plenty tonight, but
0: it should be, I think, a tougher game than most people realize for the Broncos. Yes, absolutely. In Baltimore, uh, you know, the Broncos have, have won their last two meetings, but both of them have been in Denver. So we'll talk about uh, the Broncos' record in Baltimore. It's not good all-time. We'll get to that. But first, got to remind you to make sure you're following the show on Twitter at Huddle Up Pod. And make sure you're following all of the applicable social media accounts for the website. Find uh, Denver Broncos on 24-7 Sports on Facebook, Mile High Huddle on Facebook, Mile High Huddle on Twitter, Broncos on 24-7 on Twitter. Make sure you're following because we are dropping news and analysis all day long. Nobody can keep up with this, and you you don't want to miss that. Also, if you haven't done this, take some time, and wherever you're listening to the show – Leave a creative review. I know you guys probably get tired of me harping on it, especially those of you who have answered the bell and taken some time to leave a review and rate the show. But if you're a new listener or long-time listener and you've not done it yet, you have no idea how much it helps Zach and I to bump this podcast up in the rankings, especially on iTunes. So take some time, leave a creative review, rate the show. Very important. We got to say thank you. Also, really quick to. One of the sponsors of today's show, Audible. You guys go out and get yourselves a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. There's over 180,000 different titles that you can choose from, whether you're on Android, Kindle, MP3 player, whatever it might be, today's day and age. So I'm a huge reader. I love reading, but I don't always have time to sit down, turn the pages on those books that I want to read. Not as much time as I used to anyway. And so... What's great about Audible and why I've become addicted to Audible in a good way is that I can get these books under my belt while I'm multitasking, while I'm doing other things, whether I'm at the gym, whether I'm working out in the yard, I'm in the kitchen, I'm in my commutes. So if you like listening to podcasts, which obviously you do, that's why you're listening to the show as much as you are a Broncos fan, I promise you, you're going to dig Audible. And we're giving you an opportunity to try it free for 30 days and get a free book to boot. So go to audibletrial.com slash Huddle up and give it a try. All right, so Zach and I were not always able to get to you more than once per week, but sometimes we do. Sometimes we're able to, and uh, we're kind of mowing through this season, taking it as it comes. When we do get to you twice a week, it's going to be to take care of business in this new segment we're calling Diagnosis Denver. Now, the Broncos are 2-0. and That's great. Everyone's riding high. It's, it's, I mean, who can complain? But if one or two plays went the other way, In the first two weeks, I mean, we could be talking about a Broncos team that could be sitting at 0-2. Now, I understand ifs and buts and candy and nuts and all that stuff, right? The bottom line is the Broncos won those games. But how do you guard against uh, those ifs and buts not costing the Broncos down the road, including this week in Baltimore? So that's what Zach and I are going to talk about here today. What's ailing this Broncos squad heading into week three? Where do the Broncos need to course correct and get back on the path to success? Now, in no particular order, let's run through these real quick. Zach, we got, first of all, for me, one of the biggest issues I think that has plagued the Broncos this year, <clears throat> that is when you compare it even to last year at five and eleven, it's massive. It's so far it's 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 just not been up to speed, and that is the secondary. And the problem is here is the lapses in the secondary, we know the Broncos have talent, Zach. You've got Chris Harris Jr. who has been to three all pros in the last five years, okay, three Pro Bowls as well didn't make it last year but a lot of that had to do with the fact that the Broncos were a 5-11 and team and so that kind of trickles down to the individual players but you got Adam Jones who has played a lot of football in this league and granted he spent some time off uh, was kind of late getting to the Broncos but He took a major step back in week two. Bradley Robey, we were all hoping to see that quantum leap forward in a contract year. We're not seeing it really. And then you go back on the back end with the safeties, the communication, the reaction time, the angles they're taking, the lapses. It just doesn't add up to anything good, Zach. No, and I'm not
1: trying to excuse the players at all. I mean, the players play and the coaches coach. But to me, the scheme is really off. There's something about it, and I can put my finger on it, and they're playing way too off. The cushion that they're giving opposing receivers, you saw it against Amari Cooper. There is no reason for them to play 10 yards off the ball and giving these soft zones. They need to go back to what they did best under Wade Phillips, and that's bump and run man press coverage. That is what Chris Harris Jr thrives in, that is what Bradley Roby thrives in, and it's no coincidence that since Joe Woods took over as DC, they've 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 fallen off a little bit. The no fly zone is now the friendly skies. It's yeah. wide open. You can throw all over them. So the secondary, to me, it's more of coaching than players. They have the talent, for sure. You know, like you said, Chris Harris Jr. is an all-pro. Roby was a first-round pick. Tremaine Brock was a solid pickup. Adam Jones, like you know, he had experience, like you said. The one thing also, in terms of coaching, they don't have anyone they de- they've developed. Hmm. And you're talking about two former secondary coaches in Joe Woods and Vance Joseph. Brennan Langley, the third-round picks on the practice squad. Isaac Yadam has been deactivated two weeks. They have no one that they've built up so it to me it stems more on coaching than the players. Both are at fault. But I like to see more man coverage. I like to see more bump and run. I think that would help out the secondary.
0: Yeah. And when we last were able to talk to you guys, you know, on the gut reaction episode coming out of week two, Zach and I both lamented that cushion the Broncos' corners were given those Ugh. Raiders' wide receivers. I mean, it was mystifying. And between now, uh, then, and now, we've received more information. Vance Joseph, in particular, on Monday. You know, that gives him a day to watch the tape and do some film study. He came back to the table and kind of explained where the Broncos went wrong, what the reasons were for that cushion. Uh, And basically the way he chalked it up was that they got too focused on some of the the matchups. They were too focused on taking away Jared Cook uh, and some of the other issues that they played too soft and they weren't as aggressive with their blitz packages as they should have been going against a, a quarterback like Derek Carr and a offensive line as good as oakland's is you got to dial up the pressure at times so they don't always know what's coming you can't just constantly rush four guys and expect to get home no matter even if you've got a von miller uh on your side so you know moving forward again it comes back to the basics you you hit the nail on the head zach for the denver broncos it's about man press coverage and pressure it goes hand in hand because you're looking at a Baltimore Ravens team here in week three, and Vance Joseph talked about this this week as well, some similarities, one of which is they have a very big, beefy, physical offensive line. So the Broncos got to bring the pressure and those corners. They can't sit back seven, eight yards off the snap and allow these, these wide receivers to just run all over the place underneath. You know, the excuse that
1: Vance Joseph gave, and it was a reason, it was an excuse that they wanted to focus on certain matchups, that doesn't really fly because they were focused on Jared Cook. But every time Cook caught a pass, he was mm-hmm. wide open. Right? right. So they weren't really taking him away. It's just that Amari Cooper kept catching pass after pass after pass. So, um, I, like I said, I tend to think it's more of the scheme. But the, the Ravens have a pretty solid passing attack, and they love to air it out. Joe Flacco is one of the strongest arms in the NFL. He has Michael Crabtree, the Broncos' old friend, is coming back. Yep. Um, they have John Brown, a speedy wide receiver. They have some players who can take the top off the defense, and they have to have the secondary playing Close the line of scrimmage, disrupt the routes, bump them off the routes, and and force Flacco to hold the ball for just a split second more. That's all it takes. One more second and let Von Miller get home, let Bradley Chubb get home. That is one of the biggest keys to victory. I don't want to give anything away, uh, but they have to get yep. the secondary back on track
0: because it's it, it's just it's a shell of its former self. And what's frustrating about it, we don't want to you know beat a dead horse here, but what's frustrating about it is that we know the talent is there. Okay, Chris Harris Jr., Nick Kendall was talking about this on Twitter. I think he even talked about it on Building the Broncos. But, you know, Chris Harris is supposed to be Denver's number one corner now with the keep to leave gone. And he's playing kind of like an average number two corner. In two games, he's given up as many touchdowns. And both times also complicit in those touchdowns that Harris gave up was Justin Simmons. So these safeties, man, they're not playing well either. They're slow to react. Uh, Simmons, he tightened up his tackling. We, we talked a lot about that coming out of week one, how bad the tackling was. And you can chalk a lot of that up to just shaking off the rust. It's the opening game. You know, they don't play a lot in the preseason. So it's good that they made progress in that department in week two. But now we need to see them make prog- uh, progress on the back end as guys who are able to cover, guys who are able to cut off angles, guys who are able to get to the ball carrier before they're able to pick up big chunk yards. And that kind of ties in, too, to the second thing. that we got to diagnose here that's wrong with Denver, and that is the off-ball linebackers. Now, if you look at the Denver Broncos here, Zach, as far as a rushing defense, right now they're currently ranked uh, 6th in the league. They're only giving up 78 yards on average through two games, and that's good. Okay, That's something you can hang your hat on, you can point to. It's one of the strengths so far of that defense. But the off-ball linebackers, I mean, this is a team that should be number one because of how good that defensive line is and how deep that defensive line is. This is a team that should be number one against the run. But Brandon Marshall, we've talked about it uh, you know, as a concern leading up to the season, dropped more than 20 pounds in order to be lighter on his feet, and he thought it might mm-hmm. help him stay healthy and all that. He's getting completely dominated and washed out in the run game. I mean, he just can't get off his blocks. And how can you expect him to? He's 225 pounds going up against some offensive linemen at times inside that are 325, 330. And so he is. it's really cost him losing that weight. Now he's injured. Then you got Todd Davis, who, granted, has been better against the run. I don't want to knock Davis too bad as far as his run support. He's been solid there. He's been what you kind of expect to see from Davis. But in coverage, he's been a straight-up liability, and he cost the Broncos a takeaway last week, which could have completely changed the complexion of the game when Von Miller strip-sacked Derek Carr and Domitop Pecco recovered it. So those two guys— have been terrible, and you you brought up the Jared Cook thing, how ironic it was, Zach, that the Broncos were caught up in trying to take away Cook as a matchup, and yet, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't gash him for a touchdown, but every time he caught the ball, he was wide open. Four catches, 40-some-odd yards, wide open, and that's on Todd Davis, that's on the inside linebackers who were just not very spatially aware. They just weren't paying attention they 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 were letting guys behind him uh, when when Cook would stay in to fake block and then he'd kind of leak out the backside I mean they just didn't have any awareness and you hope some of that stuff Zach's going to start clicking as the season gets on and the reps come and the film is studied and all that but these off-ball linebackers are have not been good with the exception of Josie Jewell and as I wrote earlier this week Vance Joseph talked about it the plan is to get Josie Jewell more involved I don't think there's any question that the Broncos inside linebackers is the weakest part of that defense,
1: even with respect to the cornerbacks. This has been the thing with Brandon Marshall, Todd Davis. They're pretty good in run support, but terrible against the pass especially Todd Davis. He cannot cover a running back, cannot cover a tight end. And now they're not even, you know, adept at stuffing the run. That's their one job. And they can't even do that pretty well. You brought up Brandon Marshall losing weight. It reminds me of when they had DeMarcus Walker beef up last year. It, it, I don't know what the deal is with the Broncos and their weight situation. Mm. Um, but yeah, the inside linebackers, they've been definitely struggling. And I'll say this, if it wasn't for the defensive line with Domata Peco yeah. this run defense would be middle of the pack at best because all these runners would get to the second level and probably get past Brandon Marshall, Todd Davis. Josie Jewell is the last hope here. They drafted him to be a pass covering inside linebacker, and now the passing of the torch is going to happen sooner than later because Brandon Marshall's injured. Uh, he has some tendinitis in his knee. He might play, might not play. Even if he does, though, they're going to get Jewell more involved. You know, that's already, He's already succeeding one of the linebackers there. I really, really hope he lives up to billing. And he can cover someone out of the, in the middle of the defense because uh, Brandon Marshall and Todd Davis are not
0: getting it done at all. And one of the big issues, too, and this is something that as Josie Jewell gets more snaps he's going to have to guard against, is the penchant so far that both Marshall and Davis have had for biting hard on the play action. And that's one of the ways that Derek Carr and the Raiders were able to just gash them in Week 2 is the play fake. Marshall, Davis, dive toward the, the point of attack and then yep. the receivers just fall into that zone they vacated, easy completion, dump, 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 easy completion. So, yeah, absolutely, it's something that has to improve. And if they do, I mean, if you get even a modicum of improvement from the secondary in terms of execution and communication, plus the linebackers start carrying their fair share of the water. Now you're talking about a Broncos defense that goes from kind of underachieving, kind of playing below expectations to Actually, one of the top five best defensive uh, defenses in the league. So they' got to knock those two things off the list and going on the road, it's not going to be easy in Baltimore, but we'll see if they can pull it off. Now, we got to flip it to the other side of the ball if we're talking about diagnosing what could be wrong with the Denver Broncos heading into week three, Zach. You got to point to Case Keenum's turnovers through two games, yes. four picks. Now, you go back to the game in against the the Raiders, the Broncos were struggling to get anything going, three, three and outs in a row. Finally, they're moving the ball a little bit, and they're in the red zone on the 18-yard line. Case Keenum tries to put one over the top of a, of a cornerback that's covering Jake Butt down the right seam, kind of fit it in there over that corner's head and in front of the safety who's covering over the top. He had an opportunity, if you go back and watch the film, he had a chance, but he was just a little late to throw, and then he didn't put enough air under it, and that corner just cut it off. And it completely ch- just took away that momentum that the Broncos had built up, and at that point it was only a six point game it was six nothing Raiders, so it com- it was just another situation, kind of like Todd Davis getting flagged for during von miller 's uh, strip sack. It completely changed the complexion of the game now, if the Broncos, even if they only get three points on that drive, completely changes how this thing unfolds throughout the second, third quarter, and fourth quarter so The turnovers are absolutely costing this team. You go back to week one as well, Zach. last thing I'll say before I serve this over to you is the Broncos won that game by three points. Uh, Seattle had 14 points off of of turnovers. And so you eliminate those. You get them out of there. And the Broncos beat the Seahawks by a couple of scores. And they probably don't go into halftime trailing the Oakland Raiders by two. I, the Broncos have to decide what
1: they want Keenum to be, either a game manager or a gunslinger. You can't be both. He has the interceptions right now uh, that lead me to believe that he's a gunslinger, but they, they've they said on, you know, on public record that they want him to be a game manager. Don't turn the football over. Make a couple plays. Take care of the football because ball security is job security. That was one of the, the mantras from last year. He has to cut it out. There's no way around it. They paid him $18 million a year to improve the quarterback position. The one thing that hampered them last year was turnovers. And he can throw a couple here and there, but the ones that he's thrown so far are bad decisions, not just bad throws. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to take a shot down the field and get picked off. It's another to throw in a double coverage where there's no chance that ball's going to be completed, especially in the red zone. It's just killer. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just demoralizing. So they have to decide what they want to do. Be aggressive, be conservative, mix the run in the pass. They have to develop an identity. Because right now, I don't think they know yet. Even Vance Joseph said about Bill Musgrave, he wants him to be more aggressive. He didn't think he was aggressive enough. Which are you going to be? Are you going to come out running? Are you going to come out throwing? Are you going to mix it up? Until that gets identified, I think Keenum could have a little more struggles. And it's going to cost them on the road in a hostile environment like Baltimore. You cannot turn the football over. You have to take care of it. You have to control the clock, march down the field, and play clean football. To this point, and it's been surprising because Keenum only had seven turnovers, interceptions last year. He already thrown four this year in two games. Mm-hmm. It's definitely concerning. I've seen more good than bad from him, right. but he has to cut down those turnovers.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like, you know, the sky is not falling with regard to Case Keenum. We're not telling you that Chad Kelly needs to come into the game sooner than later. What we're saying is that Case Keenum is actually, here's what I'm saying, is Case Keenum is actually treading very closely to greatness as a quarterback. Like, he's doing a lot of good things for this Broncos offense. I mean, just seeing how he's responded in the second half of both games has been phenomenal. And in fact, in the Seattle game, I mean, he marched the Broncos up and down the field all game long from the drop, 470 total yards plus the points, 27 points. Week two, though, that slow agonizing start that was gave everyone flashbacks to the Trevor Simeon era. So they, that, that can't happen. But he's done a lot of good things, and especially in the clutch when the chips have been down and the Broncos needed something, he's been great. If you look at the second half against the Raiders, homeboy led four consecutive scoring drives, capped off by the game winner uh, with Brandon McManus from 36 yards. So it's not all bad. But if Case Keenum can eliminate these turnovers – you're talking about a Broncos offense who right now is number two in the league in rushing through two games. Okay, They're the second rushing offense in the NFL. With that kind of an asset, I mean, Case Keenum has the opportunity here to have a really special situation. So he's just got to eliminate those lapses. Hopefully some of it, Zach, can be, is just going to be worked out through the live bullet process and the reps and the film study because... Again, one of the things you kind of have to, that's got to color your vision a little bit when you're analyzing Case Keenum as a quarterback through two games, is that it's only been two games as a Bronco. He's still getting his bearings. He's still forming his chemistry with and trying to see things the same way Musgrave does form his chemistry with his receivers. So hopefully it's still a work in progress in a good way, but he's got to eliminate the turnovers. He does, and it would help if one of his receivers, Demarius Thomas, could
1: catch a pass. Uh, That would definitely be of assistance to him. If he gets that going, the Broncos, I think, have a top-10 offense. and I don't think that's too hot of a take to say. They have a running game that's just uh, thunder and lightning, yin and yang, you know, dual threat. The running game is good. The offensive line is holding up. And it, it always comes back to the quarterback for the Broncos. If you could just eliminate those turnovers, they have it, a, an offense that could be top 10 in the NFL. They can put it all together. They have the receivers. They have the, the talent. They, the scheme is there. And I agree with you that what he showed when the chips are down and when he has to rally the troops, he always answers the call. Always. He always brings him back. He has two fourth-quarter comeback drives under his belt in two games. We haven't seen that from Trevor Stimeon. We haven't seen that since Peyton Manning. So he has earned his money so far. The only red flag about him, the only negative drawback you've seen from Case Keenum are those turnovers. Once he cuts those out, because he will, it's a matter
0: of when, not if, uh, this Broncos offense is going to be really good. So those are three... Issues the Broncos got to work out heading into week three. Diagnosing this team, there's a lot to like. There's a lot to get excited about. The pass rush, Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, even though Chubb hasn't been getting home. Bradley Chubb leads all rookies in quarterback pressures through two games. So that ought to get you excited. There's just so much uh, to, to, to really hang your hat on and be excited about as a Broncos fan. But they got to iron out these kinks. And if they do, I mean, we told you leading up to the season that this offense, I mean, this is a team that literally has the potential to field a top 10 offense and a top five defense. And you put those two things together and by and large, more often than not, it results in postseason football. So they got to fix that going on the road, especially to Baltimore. Now we still got a lot to get to, including our keys to victory for week three. We got to diagnose a bad take. We'll get to the mailbag as well. But first we got to say thank you to our sponsor, Mac Weldon. And let me tell you a little bit about Mac Weldon. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essential brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. Their mission statement is simple. They want to make sure that all your basics and beyond are smartly designed and that shopping for them is easy and convenient. And I'll tell you this, as someone who's spent time on the website, ordered the product, worn the product, Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. They have the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, Undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. And they have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. And that's something I thought about trying for a long time, and I finally got the opportunity at macweldon.com. I use the code that I'm going to share with you here in just a minute to get a discount. Got them shipped to my house in no time flat, started wearing them. And I'm telling you what, fellas, if you've never worn a pair of underwear that are antimicrobial, keep that, that air flowing, so to speak, you are missing out. They want you to be comfortable. Mac Weldon, here's how confident they are that you're going to like what you order. You order your first pair, you don't like them, you can keep it. And they're still going to refund you, no questions asked. Think about that. So not only does Mac Weldon's underwear, their socks, their shirts, not only do they look good, but they perform well too, and they back that up with a no-lose return policy on your first pair. So I'm talking about a line of clothing that's good for working out, going to work, going out on dates, I mean, just everyday life. And again, I got to remind you, if you don't like your first pair for whatever reason, you can keep them. And they will still refund you, no questions asked. And the coolest part about this whole thing is that you get to try it. MacWeldon.com. You go, you find what you need. Again, I recommend the silver underwear line. Antimicrobial, y'all. But you go there, you find what you need, you check out. At checkout, you put in the code Huddle Up, and then you will get 20% off your first order. And then from there, I don't know how often you go through underwear, but MacWeldon's Weldon's there for you each and every day whenever you're ready to reorder. And you're going to want to because... It's life-changing, this silver underwear line, antimicrobial, eliminate the odor, get some breeze where you need it, macweldon.com. Don't forget to use the code Up to get 20% off your first order. All right, so Zach and I don't always get the opportunity to talk about Denver's upcoming opponent on the podcast. We kind of leave that Uh, to Nick and to Carl and Eric to spend some time on it, too. So when we do get a rare opportunity to look ahead, we get excited because the Broncos are going on the road, and this is a test. We've talked a lot about Case Keenum today already, but this is the game in which the Broncos really need Case Keenum to be the difference maker overall. But there's three keys to victory for me and for Zach. A couple of them uh, are going to cross over, and we're going to share a brain here. But here's the way I see it. I'm going to run through my three quick. Then, Zach, you run through your three, and we'll discuss them. First off for me, the key to victory for the Broncos in Week 3 in Baltimore, they got to start fast. Keenum and company, they can't wait to spark this thing up uh, until the third quarter. So I'm not necessarily saying they need to hit an 80-yard bomb on the opening play of the game, but they got to move the football. they got to create some momentum. they got to try and be the aggressors and be physical on offense. And I think if they do that, you're going to see the, uh, the running game continue to flourish. And you do that on the road, it really sets your quarterback up to be efficient. Second thing, second key to victory, red zone efficiency. Now, that's, this is on both sides of the ball. Now, if you look at the other side on the other, uh, the, the other team, Baltimore right now, their offense is 9-for-9 nine nine in the red zone. What that means is they've been inside the 20-yard line nine times this year every time they've punched it in for a touchdown. So that's that's something that the Broncos defense has been mostly pretty good at thus far. If we look at their numbers as a red zone defense, uh they are currently key uh they're only well they're they're 50%. So they're solid, but through two games it's hard to find a trend, okay, through two games. But 9 out of 9, I think that's enough to kind of read into things. Now they've been in some wacky games, especially last week for Baltimore was kind of a weird one playing from behind and all that, but the Broncos are going to have to respond on their end offensively when they're in the end zone or in the red zone, excuse me. They got to be able to convert and punch it in and get points. On the road, every little point counts and if if you you know, if you come away with a field goal, it's better than nothing. But inside the 20, they got to punch it in. And then last thing for me, the key, we've already hammered on it, no turnovers. The Broncos are going to be a very difficult team to beat this year, even on the road if they don't turn the ball over.
1: Yeah, I'll start with my key, and it kind of runs into yours, kind of bleeds into it, is controlling the clock. The Broncos want to score points. They want get, to get out to a fast start, of course. But they have to keep Flacco on the sideline. They have to keep the chains moving. They have to get the ball into the end zone. Not only will it help the scoreboard, obviously, but it controls the crowd. And I mentioned this at the top of the show tonight, but M&T Bank Stadium, not many people realize this. You know, Denver gets all the credit. Seattle gets all the credit. But Baltimore is a very tough place to plan. It's a very loud stadium, a very intense fan base. It's going to be tough for Case Keenum to hear. It's going to be tough for the defense. Um, you know, It's going to have the crowd working against them. So they have to control the clock on offense. Get the running game going. Establish T.O.P. Get the ball in the end zone. Don't settle for field goals. Start fast, but keep going. Be consistent. Don't go three and out. Don't turn the football over. That's the first thing. Control the clock and the crowd. That gives them a good chance. Second, of course, defend the pass. We touched on this already, but Joe Flacco loves to air it out. He has a big, big arm. He loves to take shots downfield. He doesn't dink and dunk like Derek Carr did. He takes shots down the field, 60, 70-yard bombs. They have Michael Crabtree, have Jerron Brown. They have a pretty good tight end, Max Williams. They have a couple good running backs in Alex Collins and Buck Allen. Um, this is an offense that has some sne- sneaky good weapons, and Flacco loves to get them all involved. So the secondary that was so beleaguered that couldn't defend, couldn't stop a nosebleed the last couple of weeks, they have to do a better job in the secondary. It starts on the— you know, the line of scrimmage, bump and run, man press coverage, no zone or less zone, no cushion, defend the pass, don't have any miscommunications, get that down right. Last, of course, I agree with you, no turnovers. Yeah. It, you can overcome sloppy play and turnovers at home. It's a different animal on the road. They are not going to be able to beat a good team in a very hostile environment by turning the football over. I look at Case Keenum when I'm saying that no red zone picks, no sloppy interceptions, no fumbles. No you know, keep the ball going, take good care of it, get it in the end zone, don't turn it over. They do those things, I like their chances.
0: And the thing about the pass, you know, is the pass, the coverage units, I mean, this is a team that, why, you got to play to your strengths, and fortunately, well, however you want to look at it, unfortunately, last week they didn't play to their strengths for whatever reason. They eventually adjusted late in the game, and it helped make the difference in turning that from a loss into a win, but this is a, a, cornerback group that is more than experienced and comfortable playing press man. I mean that's what they've yes. done for most of their time together, Harris and Roby in Denver. Now you gotta weave in Tremaine Brock, you, <clears throat> you gotta weave in Adam Jones. Jones coming from Cincinnati, they ran a lot more zone than the Broncos have traditionally. But still, he's a very physical corner. That's one of his attributes. So playing that press man brand of of coverage as a corner should not be alien to Pac-Man Jones. Tremaine Brock I'll tell you what, Thursday, Eric Trickle published a film piece for the Mile High Huddle VIP subscribers, and on one of the plays he broke down was just a pretty simple, I don't know what it was, 15, 16-yard completion to Amari Cooper on the left side. Tremaine Brock just got turned around and made to look ridiculous, And, and Cooper didn't do anything particularly special. I mean, it was a solid route, but Brock was just exposed. So if they play to their strengths, they have a better chance of succeeding as a unit than being these fish out of water, playing seven, eight yards off the line of scrimmage, playing zone where no one miscommunication is rife. Because that's the problem with zone, is if you're playing zone, you got to know your assignment. And if you don't know it, I mean, it's pretty easy in man, right? You line up across the guy in front of you and you stick on him, just like in (laughs) basketball, pretty easy. But when you start getting into zone, what separates the good teams from the bad is the back-end communication, guys knowing their responsibility, guys understanding situational awareness, and the Broncos have not excelled at that. So you got to try and start straying away from zone. I'm not saying don't mix it in a little bit just to keep the opposing team on its toes a little bit, but your predominant attack has to be press man. So I agree with you on that. That's absolutely a key to this game. And Joe Flacco, I mean, Broncos fans need not be reminded what that right arm can do to a team deep. Yeah, Raheem Moore.
1: <laughs> um the thing though with with Pac-Man Jones, he played under Vance Joseph in Cincinnati. So there's no scheme issue with him. He should know what his assignment is. Yep. What scares me though is he's injured and you might see Isaac Yadam. And that's not a good um you know trial by fire form against the Ravens on the road in the very, you know, key game before the the Chiefs game on Monday night. So the secondary is really going to be under the microscope. And you know Joe Flacco is going to attack Isaac Yadam. You know he he's watched the tape from the preseason. Yeah. And you know he's going to go after him. So it's going to be something to monitor for sure.
0: Yep. If the preseason taught us anything about Isaac Yadam, it's that the veteran quarterbacks, they're going to find the least experienced guy on the field. And they identify that in the film study. They identify that in their roster scouting reports leading up to the game. If this guy's on the field, if 41's on the field, Joe, that's who you got to go after. So absolutely, let's hope that that Pac-Man is able to recover in time to make a difference here because (laughs) he also has a lot of experience going against Baltimore as a former Bengals. That's a good point. But uh, we move on here to diagnosing a bad take, that time in each and every week where we take an opportunity to correct somebody out there, whether it's on social media, Twitter, uh, in the blogosphere, in the papers, on TV, radio, whatever it might be, and in this case, I got a bone to pick uh, with our friend Darren McKee, otherwise known as DMAC over there at 104.3 The Fan. Now, as Zach and I were talking about off air before we jumped on here, I happen to be a big fan of the drive on 104.3 The Fan. Each and every afternoon, I think D and and Big Al uh, Williams do a great job together, and more often than not, I am, you know, I don't always learn something about football and uh, or, what, you know, from an X's and O's perspective, but they always entertain me. And, but today, Thursday, DMAC kind of went off the rails. Now, here's how it started. Big Al was trying to compare Ozzie Newsom, the GM in Baltimore, with John Elway, the GM. And, you know, who's done better? And Ozzie's drafted four Hall of Famers, and what do you think of Elway's draft, and this and that? Well, Big Al's argument was that he's at least drafted Elway, one Hall of Famer thus far, and that's Vaughn Miller. But DMAC had a bone to pick with that. He said, no, look, listen, how can you give Elway the credit when he had been in the building for you know a couple months and that was Brian Zander's draft? And here's the thing. He's not wrong in a sense. Brian Zander's was the GM okay, that had kind of stuck around after McDaniels and John Elway came in. It was the Zander's show, right? He was the one that had organized all the scouting of the, the 2011 draft class but at the end of the day, when that pick came in, who do you think had to sign off on it? John Elway. So the rolling up your sleeves and getting into it, that might not have been uh, Elway per se in 2011. But at the end of the day, he had to be the guy with such a, an important pick. I mean, that was the highest the Broncos might. I think it's the highest the Broncos have ever picked, number two overall. Right? Because John mm-hmm. Elway was taking one overall, but he was traded. That was Baltimore. So this was – a monumental opportunity. It was a pivotal point that the Broncos had to get right. You bet your ass that John Elway played a role in that decision. And for those, here's the last thing I'll say, and I want to get your take on it, Zach, is for people who say that Elway shouldn't get any credit for the 2011 or the 2012 classes, which, by the way, Xanders was fired just a couple of weeks out, or might have even been days after the 2012 draft was complete. So he contributed on 2011 and 2012. But for those who say that John Elway doesn't deserve any credit from those two draft classes if you flip it the other way around. Let's say they were both bust classes. Let's say the Broncos weren't able to get squat from any of their draft picks in 2011 and 2012. Who do you think they'd be vilifying? John Elway. So, when the shoe's on the other foot, you got to flip that coin over. you got to look at it from the other perspective. Was John Elway the impetus in 2011 and 2012 from a scouting perspective, from a personnel perspective? Probably not. He was still kind of learning on the job. But, he still gets credit for, that, for the best and the worst aspects of the 2011 and 2012 draft. To me, this is such an idiotic take. It really is. Because he wasn't
1: a slam dunk, Von Miller. He was a great prospect. But like you said, Elway had to sign off on that. And if he doesn't get the credit for that, then he doesn't deserve the blame for last year's draft class. It works both ways. You can blame Matt Russell. So why should he get all the criticism and none of the credit? Right. It's just—it's dumb to me. Von Miller was uh, the one of the best picks in Broncos history. Elway had a hand in drafting him, and he gets the credit. He was the GM at that
0: time, just like he gets the credit for this draft class. Well, like he one, gets the- one thing I want to—one quick bone to pick. Technically, in 2011—and they reminded me of this when I was listening on the show today— Elway was not technically the GM. In 2011, he was the director of, like, pro personnel. Xanders was the GM. Then the next year, after they fired Xanders. They promoted Elway to vice president of football operations, and then two years later, 2013, they officially made him GM. So for whatever that's worth, but still, he was the guy that had to sign off on it on everything from pro uh, personnel acquisitions to the draft. I'm I'm sure there was a wink, wink agreement that made Elway the GM. I'm sure right. he had more power I than mean, just his title. In
1: everything but title, that's what he was. Right, And uh, to me, it doesn't matter. I mean, he still has a great football mind. He's very respected, just like he has Gary Kubiak to lean on now. Mm. So it it works both ways. He deserves the credit for that. He deserves the criticism for last year's draft class. It's just what's fair is fair. What's right is right. What's not is not. So uh, to say that he doesn't deserve credit for Von Miller, it's just a a ratings ploy by someone who was banned from Broncos practice for harassing Marquette
0: King. Hmm. Well. D-Max certainly uh, has drama that follows him around, you know, and he's, he gets his fair share of criticism, and I understand it. Uh, but uh, I like Darren McKee. I think he's a solid dude. And, yeah, you know, everyone's got their opinions, and who knows? Another thing Zach and I were talking about off the air is, you know, radio's a different animal where guys are having to be a little bit more reactionary and create more controversial type of topics in order to keep people from tuning over to FM and listening to, you know, 90s butt rock. So it's a different animal. They're talking all day long. And so I I respect them for what they do. I'm not trying to take anything away from radio guys. But there's just a lot more sensationalism in what they do because of the nature of their job than like what Zach and I can do, sit down and talk podcast. We know you are the most hardcore and dedicated of the fans out there listening to this show right now. You're not just turning on the radio in between your house and the grocery store, big, you know, King Supers to grab a gallon of milk. Right, So we know you're the hardcore of the hardcore, so we can let our hair down. We can tell you what we really think, and we can spend time in this nook and that cranny breaking down X's and O's or this storyline or personnel or whatever. Radio guys, they, they live by a very small clock, and in that clock, they have to milk each and every topic to the utmost. I will say this. I'd rather hear any
1: Von Miller Elway take than go through another, you know, training camp of Team Paxton and, and
0: Team Trevor. I will say yeah. that. So it's, it could always be worse. Yeah, and that's one thing I will agree with you on for sure on that is they, they're the ones that created some of the drama that the Broncos had to deal with as far as Team Paxton, Team Trevor, and all the quarterback controversial uh, aspects of what took place those two years. The fan played a huge role in that. But anyway, we move on to... mile-high mailbag before we get out of here because zach and i we are your football priests and we're here to offer absolution and answers to your burning broncos questions and our first one zach i'm going to serve this up to you comes from larry vaughn on twitter his question at rich city underscore 804 when does demarius thomas the demotion happen and Cortland sutton moves into the number two role and hamilton to the number three i wrote about this today and I said
1: in my article that the Broncos still have confidence in Demarius Thomas. Vance Joseph said it's their job to get him going, and it's his job to play with confidence. And I agree with that. So they're not going to demote him so fast. He's had a couple drops, yeah, but he's the highest targeted receiver on the team, even more than Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, Case Keenum loves force-feeding him the ball. And, and he's an emotional leader on the sideline, as you saw on Twitter when that video surfaced. He was firing up the team uh, in the last quarter of the Raiders game. He's not going to be demoted anytime soon. But even if he was, just for, to play devil's advocate, yeah. he'd be the number three. He'd still be a pretty big part of this offense. He's going to be, and rightfully so. He's a veteran receiver. He's the highest-paid receiver for a reason. He has to step it up, no question about it. But I still think he's going to be a big part of the offense, and the Broncos want to get him going. They want to have that complementary possession guy with Emmanuel Sanders and to go along with Cortland Sutton. And Nashawn Hamilton, it's just not happening for him yet. Not a lot of you know scraps to go around and, and too many mouths to feed. So he's not going to get demoted. It would take multiple games of of just errors, mental errors, physical errors, uh, penalties, turnovers, drop passes for them to even consider it. He's still going to be a big part of this offense, and I think he will get going sooner than later. Yeah, and
0: here's how you got to look at it. You're absolutely right. Last week, there were 66 offensive plays for the Broncos in the Raiders game. Demarius Thomas received the most snaps of any wide receiver at 59. The next highest... Was Cortland Sutton, who received, I think, even one or two snaps more than Emmanuel Sanders, who I think, if I recall right, temporarily even got banged up and then came back on. But I could mm-hmm. be, I could be misremembering that. But either way, Sutton was only five snaps behind Demarius Thomas, and again, Thomas led the whole group in snaps. What does that tell you? It tells you that Thomas brings something to the table for the coaches that some of the other guys don't. And whether you want to call that his route running ability. Uh, his experience, his savvy in knowing what to expect, being able to communicate that to Case Keenum, how to exploit opposing corners and coverages, whether it's his playmaking ability as a receiver and a pass catcher, what he can do with the ball in his hands. We haven't seen a lot of that side of him yet, right, in 2018. But he's still, the coaches still believe in him. But Vance Joseph, when he talked about it this week, he kind of, if you're reading between the lines, you could tell it is a concern. Uh, the fact that he had to say publicly, I know he was asked directly about Demarius Thomas, but he could have responded with a simple, oh, DT's fine. We're not worried about DT. Next question. But instead, he talked about how DT needs to play with confidence. And if you go back and watch his that ESPN production, 30 for 30, Doubting No Doubting Thomas, I think it was called. You can find it on YouTube. You learn that Demarius Thomas has suffered for most of his life from crippling um, shyness, for lack of a better term. Okay, he he kind of is an introvert. It's not easy for him to get animated on the sideline like you saw in that Twitter clip uh, that Zach mentioned a few minutes ago. That's not DT uh, his forte. Okay? He's an introverted person. He doesn't like talking in front of people. He doesn't necessarily like being the center of attention. So what it comes down to, though, is I think at times because of that introverted type of personality, he gets stuck in his own head. And when he gets stuck in his own head... He starts doubting, starts wondering, starts thinking, really. That's when you see the drops happen. And so what VJ's talking about there with the confidence thing is, yeah, he's just got to play with more confidence, and then he even spoke to really what the key is. The Broncos got to get him going early. And if they can get Demarius Thomas going early, I think it spells good things for Thomas and the offense. Yeah, and so many fans are
1: wondering what the issue is. Is it is is it a salary? Is it his vegan diet? Is it his <laughs> mustache? Yeah, <laughs> and it, it's none of the above. It's just things happen, and we can all relate to having that shy moment and to overthinking things. It's no different for an NFL player. They're human, and you, you have to kind of have some expectation for them. Yes, he's very highly paid, twelve million dollar s- salary cap number. He should perform better. He has to perform better, but they're not going to give up on him. They still have a lot of
0: confidence in him, and Case Keenum loves getting him the ball or trying to. That's right. He leads all Broncos in targets. He's got 22 targets and he's only caught uh, half of them and he's dropped (laughs) at least four of them. But yeah, I mean, we know what he's capable of. So he's just got to put it together. Give him a little time. And in the meantime, you're going to see Sutton break out here really, really soon. He was damn close last week and he's getting closer by the second. So Uh, You're going to see Sutton start to carry even more of the water, take some of the pressure off DT, and that's probably when DT will finally show up again, to be honest with you. We'll see. We'll see. But we move on. Two more questions, and we're out of here. The next one comes from Ryan E. on Facebook. And by the way, you guys, if you want to ask us questions, hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Facebook. Uh, You can hit us up on the Mile High Huddle forums, okay? And we're always going to try and get to your questions. And I'll tell you what. Lately, more of the questions have been coming from our Facebook listeners than Twitter. So, Broncos Twitter, you need to get your you know what together. Step it up. Step yo game up. But this question comes from Ryan E. <clears throat> I'll serve it up here. Is Chad Kelly Denver's future franchise quarterback? Uh, that's such a loaded question. You know. Yeah. Let me just say one thing. I think this was triggered by the fact that you know Keenum was a little bit in doubt this week with the missing practice on Wednesday. So, what if Chad Kelly had to play? Now, go on. If he had to play the game uh, Sunday, I think he'd, he'd hold up well, but they wouldn't have
1: a game plan that would emphasize him trying to win the game on his own. They would buoy him with a run game and Royce Freeman and Phillip Lindsey, Devontae Booker. Right. He can be a future quarterback for them, a starting quarterback, but we haven't seen enough yet to make a determination one way or the other. He looked good in preseason, yes, for for three games. He didn't have that great of a finale, but he played against backups. Future real estate agents, not NFL superstars like what Case Keenum is going up against. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a different level of competition. And the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy on the team. And it was it was Kyle Sloter last year. It's Chad Kelly this year. They're always that backup quarterback Hall of Fame, except for Paxton Lynch. But he has the talent for sure. Definitely, he has the charisma, the attitude, the swagger. Swag Kelly it's just way too soon to say if he can be a franchise quarterback for this team it's still case Keenum's team and i want to see how he develops in the next couple years or so yeah i mean look at
0: it this way let's let's ask the question this way will the broncos draft a quarterback in 2019 here's my answer to that absolutely even if they go to the playoffs and win they're going to draft a quarterback next year now the question is where? Now, let's pretend we don't ever we don't get to see Chad Kelly uh, again in action in, for all of 2018. And let's just say in the best-case scenario, the Broncos, you know, maybe they don't even win the division, but they make it to the playoffs. Let's just say that's what happens. What do the Broncos do at quarterback? I think they still draft a quarterback, but like rounds three through six, somewhere in there. Because I do believe Chad Kelly has many of the markers that this team looks for. In a future franchise quarterback, and and really the thing that he 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 doesn't lack arm strength, he doesn't lack the the tools, he doesn't lack uh, lack the measurements and the measurables, um, and he has the will to win. And I think that competitive edge and the and the ability to lead, you put those things together with uh, his his measurables, Zach, and he's got some. I mean, that's why the Broncos are really excited. I mean, they're they're excited enough to just rip the Band-Aid off and cut Paxton Lynch, just cut bait with that first round pick. Which, by the way. Lynch has received several workouts since the Broncos released him. Still sitting out there. So Chad Kelly's a big reason why the Broncos believe in him, and I think he's got a future in Denver, but Case Keenum has a little something to say about that because Case Keenum's still young, relatively. I mean, he's in his sixth season. If he goes on to do some good things, I mean, he's got another 10 years left in the tank at least. So Case Keenum could be the future franchise quarterback, and at worst, you can develop Chad Kelly – and parlay him into a draft pick down the road if he continues to play well in his opportunities.
1: Yeah, and a part of me is hoping that Elway does not draft another quarterback because his track record <laughs> isn't exactly sparkling. Right. But I agree with you. I think regardless of how the season shakes out, you know, Case Keenum's not a youngster by any means. He's 30, and he has more time, like you said, but they always want to have that backup quarterback developing. And they have Chad Kelly, but they have to have another one on the roster. Kevin Hogan's not the answer. And it, I just think it's too soon to say one way or the other what Chad Kelly could be. He looked good in the preseason, looked good in training camp. All the physical upside in the world, he has that the moxie of a of a starting quarterback. Yep. But it's Case Kingdom's team until proven otherwise. Yep. So I really can't render a judgment
0: either way. And if you're gonna, I mean, if there's anything to make you doubt Chad Kelly at this point, it's that he just didn't finish strong in the preseason. He started off with a bang, won the second string job, convinced the Broncos they didn't need to necessarily go out and pay like some tenured veteran. I mean, Kevin Hogan's far from that. He's about as unproven as Chad Kelly is, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he did enough to earn it, but still he didn't finish strong. The, those final two games, This the third game he was solid, if unspectacular, and the last game he just looked like he was kind of scared. He was a little a bit in a shell, yes. didn't want to screw up. But anyway, we move on to the last question, then we're out of here. From Kyle Davis, also on Facebook, Broncos Twitter, Step Your Game Up. How good could this offense be, Zach? Like I said earlier, top 10.
1: And if you put a top 10 offense with this defense, they're a playoff team. You mentioned earlier, Chad. You put a top 10 offense and a top five defense, let's say, that's postseason. That's something they haven't done in three years. So, uh, I think the potential, the ceiling is a top 10 unit, but it, a couple things have to happen. The O-line has to stay healthy, and you already have Jared Vildier with a concussion. K- uh, Keenum has to cut down the turnovers, the, the interceptions, that has to stop. Yep. And they have to continue establishing the run game. They're doing a great job so far mixing in Freeman and Lindsey and Booker. They have to keep up. And if all those things work together, and they all stay healthy and the stars align, this is a top 10 unit in the NFL. And if you looked at last year, and I, I would have told you this time last year, one year from now the Broncos will have a top 10 offense. You look at me like I was crazy. But that's definitely within the realm of possibility if it all comes together. So it's very encouraging. Yeah. And Case Keenum
0: is the, you know, the engine that makes it go. It, I do not disagree with one thing you said there. If you look at the Denver Broncos offensively, and then you look at the 12 major statistical categories for an offense in this league, they're a top 10 unit. In fact, let me do it this way. Here's where the Broncos currently, through two games, are in the top ten in the NFL. Time of possession, they're tenth. Net yards per game, they're fourth. Yards per play, they're fourth. Net rushing yards per game, they're second. Fumbles, zero. So that's got them tied for first. Sacks allowed, they've only allowed two. That puts them at third. And then the last one is on third down percentage, they're converting 42.9% of the time, which is good for seventh. So seven out of the top twelve offensive markers, okay, for statistics, the Broncos are in the top ten. So that's huge. If you cut out the, the turnovers, like we've been hammering on today, this offense can take a multiple leaps forward because you look at their points per game, Zach. I mean, they're averaging right now through two games, and it's thirteenth in the league. So it's not technically top ten, but they're averaging twenty three and a half. And if you were to talk to us a month ago. And said, if the Broncos can average 23.5 points in the regular season as an offense, how many games does this team win? I think we'd all say probably 10. You you know, 9-10 wins is probably like baseline. Because this defense, they're not going to, with very few exceptions, they're not going to relinquish more than 20 points a game. So it's a winning formula if they cut out the turnovers that's what the the Broncos wanted. They didn't need an all-pro quarterback. They didn't need an explosive
1: 99 Rams or 07 Patriots. They needed just a complementary offense to go with a defense that's still the strength of the team. The defense was doing way, way too much the last couple years. And even in the 2015 season, yep. they were the strength of the team. And And it was starting to get to them. They were, you know, it was like almost like two separate teams, the offense and the defense on the Broncos. They needed just a complementary unit. And if they can be a top 10 offense, that's way more than complementary. That's postseason. Yep. So that, I think, is their ceiling. And if, like I said, all those things come together and start with case Keenum and the turnovers, uh, this offense has a chance to really go
0: places. You heard it. So there you go. There's your answer, Kyle. That's how good this offense can be. But that's all the time we have for today. Your Broncos are 2-0. They're 1-0 in the division. They're going on the road for the first time. We're going to learn a lot more about this squad here in the next few days. It's going to be fun to cover it. Uh, Make sure you're subscribing, you guys, because this season, we don't really know what's in store. That's one of the exciting things about 2018 is we're still learning what this Broncos team is all about. And so you're not going to want to miss – a Single episode, make sure you're following my partner Zach Kelberman on Twitter at Kelberman 247. You can find me at Chad and Jensen at Huddle Up Pod is the show's Twitter account. Make sure you're following each and every one of you. If, you, if every one of you followed the Twitter account Huddle Up Pod, we'd have over 10,000 followers on Twitter. So come on, carry your share of the water. Let's go. Let's go. Most of you have Twitter accounts, we know. But anyway, for Zach <laughs> Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you immediately following the Week 3 game for the Gut Reaction. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.